and he must have a firm grasp of the unchanging message so that he can be counted on both for giving encouragement in sound doctrine and for refuting those who argue against it. WSFI 88.5 FM presents Reclamation Theology with Kyle Clement. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of Reclamation Theology with Kyle Clement. I am your host, Angela Tomlinson, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Kyle, Kyle is a founder, along with Father Chad Ripperger, of the Libra Cristo organization and movement, and he is, Kyle, you're having a big conference coming up this week, I understand. Yes, thanks, Angela. We're having a, uh, what was originally a regional conference, uh, Southwest Regional Conference, which was to be held in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, with Dan Schneider and Jesse Romero, who are all, both on the Labor Cristo team. And so that conference is now a virtual conference. Um, and so you may go to www.LibreCristo.org and join that conference. It's $25. Uh, it's about it's more than eight hours uh, of teaching that'll be live tomorrow. And uh, I, I would highly encourage you. It's called Terms of Engagement. And so it's a, it's a primer on spiritual warfare, even though we all uh, have heard it and may know it, uh, it doesn't hurt at all. And we would do well to be reminded and go back through that kind of primer course or that entry level understanding of spiritual warfare. So thanks for the opportunity to, to plug that conference tomorrow, Angela. Well, what a top notch team you have leading that conference. Maybe talk a little bit before we get into the meat of the show about Jesse's background. Your, well, we know your background, Kyle, but you may, and then Dan's. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Jesse is, uh, one of the people that I would call an exemplary uh, Catholic. He, he's lived an exemplary life. He gave his life uh, for, has given his life a big part of it for uh, public service, having been in law enforcement and retired from law enforcement. So he's a career law enforcement officer. He is uh, he's a author, published author. He is a Catholic evangelist. He has a, a degree in theology, a master's degree in theology. Jesse's a very unique individual. He's a martial arts expert, has been a, a competitive fighter on a, a national champion. Jesse's a man's man, and he brings a unique perspective. Uh, having been involved heavily in the charismatic movement, he brings a very unique perspective to what's happening in the church today. I think that Jerry uh, Jesse is a very sober voice he's a very solid voice for the faith today dan snyder was a helicopter pilot in the military very very solid individual uh, both of these are family men dan's a family man business owner and dan's been through um a lot of the ecclesial wars what i mean by that is is uh interior struggles within the church. Dan's been involved in the deliverance and liberation ministry uh, for several years. I've worked alongside Dan. Dan, he's been involved in formation. Dan is a candidate for, um, he will receive his doctorate in sacred theology this summer, having um, developed a specialty 
on Marian doc doctrines and dogmas <clears throat> and her role in salvation. So uh, Marian expert, spiritual warfare expert, both of these guys are veterans. Um, and so they are the other two presenters. And then I am the least of these three. Um, it's hard to say um, how all this this came to be, but I've been, been involved in, in formation of priest, laity, um, and assisting the church in, in deliverance and, and liberation and exorcism for over 20 years. Um, and so that's kind of where I come to this. I've worked with Father Ripperger for 10 years. I've worked for him for five. Um, have been associated with the development of Liber Christo, the Liber Christo methodology, which is a return of the liberation and exorcism deliverance ministries to Catholic norms. Uh, I think any time that we can be involved in returning our church to the norms which served us so well for the first 20 centuries of the church, we would do well to, to do a true reform um, and, and a reform to right order. And so that's part of what reclamation theology is. That's uh, kind of a flyover on Libra Cristo, as well as this conference tomorrow. So thank you for the opportunity, Angela. And once again, Kyle, how can people um, register for the conference online? You can register for that conference online at www.liberchristo.org. There's also um, a lot of free things you, you can access, recordings, um, videos, information, the frequently asked questions um, section is, is full of information. So exhaust the website. There's a lot there. Uh, gives you an idea of, of who we are and, and uh, what's happening in the church today. Yeah, and what's happening in the world too, Kyle. I mean, I know Jesse's been on our radio station many times and one, one thing that comes to mind is one of his experiences where Our Lady's triumph really came into play. He was in the mobs. I don't know, did he ever tell you that story? He was, he was trapped in the L.A. mobs, and he was praying the rosary. He was a dead duck. He had the policeman's uniform on, and his wife had warned him. Anita warned him, now don't go this way. He went that way anyway, and he credits Our Lady as saving his life. So it's a perfect time for him to have a, another pulpit to explain the power of the spiritual battle that we're in. Right. Jesse, um, just a day or two ago, there was an article published. Jesse wrote uh, a very, very good in-depth article that gives a 360-degree view of um, the unfortunate death uh, of the individual that has sparked the national poor national response. We'll get more into that in the meat of the show, but uh, you can access that article at uh, Church Militant, I believe, but the article is it, uh, was written by Jesse and then Church Militant picked it up. Um, it wasn't written for them, but it, they picked it up. But anyway, that's a, that's a good reference. Um, he brings a very, very good perspective, and I think that's what we need is a functional Catholic perspective on what's happening because we're not getting it in mainstream media. We're not getting it in mainstream Catholic media. And so I think that, that it's important to realize that Catholic media is mirroring in many ways, modern Catholic mirror uh, media is mirroring in many ways secular media, where things are agenda-driven, where there there's, a, there's different 
things going on and, and there's different drivers that may not be immediately apparent. And that's one of the reasons that I think that Reclamation Theology is picked up here on WSFI. Uh, we've got a new show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio called Libra Cristo War College. I think that there's going, there's more and more of these uh, independent outlets. I applaud your efforts. Please do whatever you got to do to stay open uh, and, and be willing to speak truth to power. That's the real thing is, is that we've got to be willing to speak truth to power. And how can people listen to that show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio? You can um, access Virgin Most Powerful Radio on the internet, and it's it airs live on Wednesdays, Wednesday mornings. I want to say 10 a.m. Mountain Time, which would be 11 a.m. Your time, but you could go to Virgin Most Powerful Radio and search uh, or look for uh, Libra Cristo War College. We would certainly invite you to to pick that up, Angela. Absolutely. And, uh, and make it available to your listeners. Yeah, so if not to us, have people listen to it directly. So we'll, we'll give them a stay of execution. They won't have to listen to WSFI for that hour, as long as they're listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio on Wednesdays at 10 Mountain Time, if that's correct. But everybody, just go to that website, Virgin Most Powerful. Is that Terry Barber and Jesse Vimiero that are the pioneers of that network? Yes, uh, they are. Jesse has a show on there called Jesus 911, which is a very, very informative show. Jesse's target there, his language for low information Catholics. It's for those that are really wanting to be uh, active in their faith, but either don't know or have some some ideas or some understandings that are incomplete. And so Jesse does a great job talking to Joe Catholic. Dan and I alternate on there on Mondays uh, on a spiritual warfare segment, and then on Wednesdays is the Libra Cristo War College. And so the understanding of the War College is that this is a war, it's an ongoing war. So the function of a, of a regular War College is, is to look at a battle or an engagement from a historical perspective. What was, what, how was this battle fought before? How was the topography used? What were the lessons learned? What was the strategy and what was the tactics? And so that's the perspective that we bring. For instance, this last show, and we will always play, a, either have a Father Ripiger on or play a clip from one of his teachings for Libra Cristo. And he's done several exclusive recordings for, for Libra Cristo. Right now, we're involved in uh, discussing power and authority. And so last week, we, we played a clip from Father and then discussed the spiritual warfare ramifications of this deviation from right order and power and authority that we're seeing. We're seeing the physical manifestation of it in our secular world um, when we're not rightly ordered. Um, and, and power and authority, this discussion has a lot to do with church and state where how we get to this spot and then how do we extract ourselves from this spot so from a war college standpoint how did we get in this this predicament how did we get uh in this configuration with the enemy and now how do historically how what how did leaders extract the the church from this perilous position how was this responded to historically in a successful way and in an unsuccessful way. We've lived long enough and there's enough human history, especially with regard to the scriptural foundations of our, of our church and the traditional foundations of our church. 
almost any situation you can look at and and in a historical context and say okay here's where we did it right here's where we did it wrong and so that's the the emphasis or the the perspective for Libra Crystal War College. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the challenges that the faithful Catholics are having is what happens when people in power and authority in the church are actually swamp creatures. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when they're using that power and authority to lead the sheep in a direction that may be different than what our Lord would lead them. Well, I think it's a, it's a good point, and that's the, that is the discussion. A couple of observations that, that to make, even leading us into the, to today's show, is the patristics political scientist uh, will agree on, on the point that I'm about to make. Patristics is a term meaning church fathers, the doctors and fathers of the church, those who wrote, those who um, put forward sound doctrine, sound teaching, and then we have to build, everything builds upon that foundation. And so the threefold foundation, these are, this is basic Catholicism, but the th- we must always remember that the threefold foundation is tradition, scripture and magisterium in that order tradition precedes the scripture precedes the um, magisterium and so they have to be in continuity there has to be a continuity and there's not a lesser voice in those three any more than there's a lesser voice in the three persons of the trinity they're just operative in different particular areas but there has to be this consistency this continuity well, what they say, and what they have always said, that is echoed by political scientists modernly, is that the leadership you get is indicative, is a manifestation, is a physical representation of the disposition of the society. So governance, especially Republican, Democratic, and I'm using Republican as those who are governing a republic, not as the political party. So I'm going to use two terms there, and I want to clarify the terms. And so Republican government or Democratic government, meaning elected government, representative government, and I'm not referring to the political parties, just the forms of government. We are a democratic republic, technically, is what we are uh, in this country. And so we we elect those who govern us, and so they are a manifestation of us. And so if you see a lack of virtue in your politician, then you must turn and and look at yourself and say, we are the society that said we want to be governed by this ideal. We are the society that wants to be governed uh, by this direction. And so when the deviation from the norm becomes very, very uh, radical, such as a um, Barack Obama followed by a Donald Trump. You, you're, you're getting radical swings. There's no, there's no stability. There's no equilibrium. And so you're getting radical ideology. And so the middle falls away. We see this religiously and scripturally when they talk about the end times where um, the children of light and dark, the battle will be between the children of the light and children of the dark, good and evil, meaning that the middle ground falls away. And we're seeing that. We're, evil militates to absurdity. 
And so there's a cycle that runs um, that evil militates to absurdity. Evil becomes open. Practices become um, deviated and, and disordered. Uh, such as um, no-fault divorce, homosexual homosexual union, the open practice of homosexuality. And so the, you, you get this manifestation or this physical manifestation of the disorder in our governments. And so they agree on that, and I think we would do well to understand it. Our clergy, uh, our clergy are not imposed upon us. They, they come from us. They come from the laity. And so... When you've got a proliferation of homosexual, effeminate, deviant priests, they came from homosexual, deviant uh, backgrounds, broken homes, places where homosexuality was um, not opposed, where heresy was not opposed, where ecumenicism was the right uh, of the understanding that we will agree to disagree rather than the... the um, emphasis on salvation of souls. And so we have only ourselves to blame. Uh, and, and until we do that and, and start cleaning it up in our at our hearth, then we can't expect it to be cleaned up at the altar. And this is a generational movement. And so the reform, the, the reform of the church is going to be grassroots. It's going to come from the laity. It's going to come from sanctified laity, just like it's always come. And so a holy church is a reflection of a holy laity. And the cleric is a reflection of the laity. So I think that if you want good shepherds, you have to be good sheep. Now, being good sheep is not blind obedience to those that are abusing authority because evil militates to absurdity and there is a tremendous abuse of the obedient happening right now by malformed, malinformed, and in some senses malicious clergy. But we've allowed that. And so when you look at it that way, it's pretty sobering that, you know, we must first as laity look at ourselves. You know, Kyle, here's the dilemma as I see it. We had the protests which were infiltrated by the rioters, which was condoned by the leaders by telling the law enforcement that we pay for us stand down. They were told to stand down. In the church, we have the cardinals and the bishops telling the priests stand down. Even when there's no emergency, which is the word that's been used in certain geographical areas and with certain populations. So you have both people, both the police, the good police, having to watch in horror as, for example, that St. Louis Police Department officer, retired officer, was bled to death. And you have the good priests watching the laity essentially watch them spiritual life in jeopardy, not receiving confession, which they need, not being fed the Eucharist, which Jesus gave us, and they have to stand down. So I understand what you're saying. The long-term solution is we have to become more and more holy as individuals, and then our leaders will reflect that holiness. 
is there anything that we can do in the interim? That is the interim. That is the long-term plan. It is the short-term plan. It is the totality of the plan and the willingness to suffer. The willingness to suffer at the hands uh, at, at, at bad at the hands of bad shepherds, at the hands of hirelings. Um, this is scriptural. When the wolf comes, when the shepherd is struck, uh, the sheep scatter, and then when the wolf comes, the hireling flees because they're not his sheep. We've raised a generation. There's been a generation of bishops, especially in this country, who are politically motivated, and they they. They're malformed, they're not completely formed, and they do not understand what it is to be an apostle. And so you begin slowly to clean things up and you do it the way the laity does it. There are several methodologies uh, that, that we as the laity can do, but the more monolithically we act, the more um, as one body, as a mystical body that we act, then the, the quicker this will happen. But we are scattered right now. You've got all kinds of responses. Uh, you've got people who are who are going away, just simply going away. You, you've got a tremendous amount of sheep who are disgusted and say, I'm no longer wanting even to be a sheep. Well, you, you can't help that. You're a Catholic and you're going to be a Catholic. I think that to look at and talk about areas that we need to clean up, areas that we, we have to constantly ask for reform. And, and it has to be a tolling of the truth like you toll a bell. It's not a militant response. It's simply the response of a sheep. If you try to lead a sheep someplace where he intuits that it's dangerous for him to go, you're not going to get it done. But, and I think that the agrarian understanding of these sheep and shepherd analogies, we really need to go back into that because people do not understand that relationship. It is a relationship between, it is a relationship that is dominion, not domination. Domination is what we're experiencing right now because we are not wanting to go the direction that our church leaders are wanting to us to go. And it's not so much them wanting to lead us, they're wanting to drive us. And that's domination, not dominion. And so these very, very simple concepts are concepts that we do well to understand. This is reclamation theology. This is reclaiming ancient theology that is never old. And, and listen to that language. It's, it was true then, it's true now. You've heard it said, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. True theology, true church is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so what we find is today we're in a deviant landscape. There, we're in a howling wasteland devoid of, it's a howling wasteland of modernism and relativism that is devoid of the landmarks of virtue, right order, and absolute truth. We are living the howling wasteland that Pope Leo XIII prophesied as the result of modernism and relativism. We are there. So how do we navigate out of that? By clinging to the absolute truth, returning to sheep analogy, returning to rangelands, areas that we know, where we know where the water is, we know where the grass is, we know where the things that are good for us, we know where the safe valleys are, we know where those things are. 
And so we stand on the edge of this wasteland and we look at our shepherds who are disappearing into this wasteland and we can't go there. We, we will not go there. And so it's not a militant rebellion. It's simply a standing stalwart and saying, I will not go where you're trying to lead me because it is not good for me. It is not good for the souls that are in my care. And they've been placed in my care by God Almighty, not by you. The clergy will be repopulated through the laity. This is the way it works. It's the way it's always worked. And so there's a slight deviation on this happening in tradition is where there is an emphasis on the permanent diaconate. There's this emphasis on feminine diaconate, all of which cannot stand the test of tradition, all of which cannot stand the test uh, as we talked about the threefold test of scripture, tradition, and magisterium. And so when you've got one of these entities operating independent of the other two, then you've got a fracture, you've got a rupture. And and we've got already got a church that is diminished. The, the ability for grace to flow through it is diminished as manifest by the interruption of the sacraments. A short deviation on that, and, and I want to come back to that point, but one of the interruptions in the sacraments and, and a lot of the practice we find ourselves here because the bishops have made a series of bad decisions and they've made a series of bad decisions. The first series of bad decisions gives us a, a one or two degree deviation from the right path. Well, by the time that deviation goes on for 40, 50, 60 years, we're so far apart. If you deviate only one degree difference in direction, at the end of the first week, we can still talk to each other. At the end of the first month, we can't see each other. And by the end of 10 years, we're so far apart um, on the spectrum that communication is almost impossible. Well, this deviation, this course direction deviation started in the 60s, early 60s. It became manifest with the Second Vatican Council. It is time to call this council what it is as a result of what it, its fruit, not what it intended. Intentions, the best quote for intentions is one we all know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So let's set the intention of the Second Vatican Council aside. We have learned, if nothing else, that as laity, we cannot interpret the actions or words of churchmen in the best light possible. This has not served us well and continues to be a, a clear deviation from, from truth. And so as we go back and, and look at our bishops have become politicians, they're not spending time among the sheep, they don't know the sheep. And so the, the episcopate, the, the, the title of bishop by and large, now the exceptions will accentuate the rule. There are good bishops out there. There are bishops who are apostles out there, but they are few in number. And the rest of them hard to find in their own diocese, especially in times of trouble. And so I think we start by deconstructing some of the constructs, and we do that by adamantly not supporting the precept of the church says that we as laity are obliged to support the church, and that is keep your diocesan, your parish churches open, your diocesan offices open, but with a focus toward the diocese, toward the parish. 
dedicated giving. When you do give, dedicate your gift to your parish. Make it clear that your donation is for your parish, for maintenance, for, for salary, for whatever that may be. But we must starve out financially the rogue organization that is the USCCB that is largely funded by federal government. If you follow the money on this, then it becomes apparent that there is something going on here that militates directly against subsidiarity, directly against the corporal works of mercy as intended by our Lord, which were not to be legislated, which were to be a movement of, of charity that, that comes out of the heart. So it's about conversion, not administration. We've lost some of these basic concepts, and I'm just kind of giving a flyover on some of these concepts. One of the things I think that we really need to talk about as laity is not the egregious things that the bishops are doing, not the blatant mistakes that they're making, because currently they've gotten to a position where it's going to be almost impossible for them to make a good decision, collectively or individually, especially collectively. It's going to be difficult, and so we have to go back to where was that one-degree deviation? Let's go back and correct. If you find that you have a misunderstanding about something, if you find that a business relationship or a personal relationship has a, a problem, go back to the basis of the relationship and then retrace statements and say, where did we step off this path? You will find almost always an individual who is the manifestation of the zeitgeist or the manifestation of the problem. The manifestation, the physical manifestation in a person, not that he is the totality, not by any means, but he is the caricature of the problem at its inception or where it becomes manifest. The caricature of our issue, one of our major issues with regard to the cleric, the Catholic cleric, is Theodore McCarrick. This was a person who was very, very active in placing individuals, specific individuals. And so you go back, and if you're wanting to find out where there was a deviation, then you say, okay, what was the what were the associations? This makes everyone dubious, and I understand what I'm saying. From an investigation standpoint, if you've ever been a father, if you've ever been a mother, if you've ever been someone who investigated, if you've ever been a police detective, if you've ever gone back and said, okay, what started this person down this path? What started this institution down this deviant path is going to be the the actions of a of one individual will be a manifestation and then there'll be a movement behind this individual. Theodore McCarrick largely was the author of what was called the Dallas Protocol. And so this is where a practicing pedophile, homosexual, deviant priest is elevated to a position where he can start placing others of like deviation into positions of power. Either those who are practicing or those who are willing to go along to get along. Everyone that was promoted or had a relationship 
with Theodore McCarrick would therefore be dubious or dubia, doubtful, and would need to be investigated as to do they contribute to the degradation of our faith and the integrity of the hierarchy of the church. If they do, then that needs to be dealt with. Many will say, that sounds like a witch hunt. That sounds like McCarthy in the 50s. We would do well to pay attention to Senator McCarthy. Very prophetic. If we had listened to what he had, was saying and understood the pervasion of communism into our country, ultimately into our seminaries, the placement of certain individuals for the diminution of the integrity of the faith. This is reclamation theology. So we got to go back and say, if we're reclaiming theology, when did we start to, to systematically and institutionally lose it? And so this is where this is what we're looking at. The testimony is out there. The, the, the language is out there. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. We're simply looking back and saying, here are the landmarks of, of significant deviation. And then what flows from that is going to give us an insight as to where we have to reform and, and reclaim our theology. If we reclaim right order, if we reclaim uh, right theology and right faith, doctrine, and dogma and the ordering of it, then we began to develop a laity and an understanding of the faith that can sanctify the church over this next generation. But this is a generational movement. Kyle, can you go back to Theodore McCarrick? What was the, do you say it was the Dallas paper or the Dallas document? Can you tell us what that is? He developed what was called the Dallas Protocol, is how to deal with someone who is accused of any form of sexual abuse or violence. And so essentially it was how to deal with a pedophile written by a pedophile, how to deal with someone who is abusing power by someone who is abusing power. This document has been weaponized by deviant members of clergy used against orthodox members of clergy as to if there's credible allegation, if there's any allegation certain along certain lines, people, clerics and others have to be suspended pending investigation. And then the investigation may either be rapid or slow, depending upon the investigate investigatory body. And so this has been much, much abused. This The whole policy needs to be thrown out, this Dallas protocol, because like I said, it's been weaponized by the homosexuals, the effeminates, and others. For instance, there is a Cardinal Archbishop who has a credible allegation. He is still serving public mass, all his duties, everything else, but he is dictating that his priests under him who are uh, accused have to be immediately suspended. This is the type of double standard that politicians will use. For instance, many of our laws in the United States, the Senate and the House members are not subject to those laws. Anytime you have a legislative body that is not subject to the laws that it's passing, this is a deviancy in right order because they are first citizen and legislator second. And so the bishop is is Catholic first, he's Christian first, he's Catholic first, he is bishop second, because everything has to be 
predicated or built upon this understanding of just exactly who Jesus is, the understanding of the real presence. These are the absolute truths that we've, that we've lost the emphasis on. These are what allows us to navigate this howling wasteland of relativism and modernism devoid of the landmarks of right doctrine, dogma, and absolute truths that Jesus Christ is God condescended to man. And the real presence of the Eucharist, the efficacy of the sacraments, all of this flows from the centrality of Jesus the Christ, the centrality of who he is. If it is not Christocentric, then the deviation will become manifest. And and that kind of brings me to this point. McCarrick is not the Antichrist. That's not what I'm saying at all. But when you have a McCarrick, a Nero, uh, a Hitler, when you have some over-the-top personality like this who is actually a cartoon or a caricature of the very deviancy that they propose, then you have to go back and say, everything that flows from that is rotten fruit. You can't get good fruit and rotten fruit from a rotten tree. And so if the tree, if, if the vine, McCarrick, is rotten, then everyone he promoted is dubia, is suspect. And so you have to, all the programs, why do we still have in practice these programs that he clearly authored as a way to protect certain individuals and a way for other individuals to persecute and to suspend and to indefinitely, to prolong investigation? So this sidelines or takes out of action a lot of priests, good traditional Orthodox priests, and allows deviant priests to proliferate, to continue, to promulgate this this message. It also allows the seminary directors and others to continue to suppress orthodoxy within the seminaries and right order within the seminaries. We've got a systematic promotion of effeminacy and homosexuality. It's not that it's no it's tolerated, it's now actually promoted talk to everyone, everyone that I'm talking to knows at least one young seminarian, good young man, straight young man, who went with a just and righteous call, who has left the seminary out of disgust. Every one of us knows at least one or knows that story. Listen to this. This is what the laity has to do. We as men and women in the laity have to say, we will give you no more sons until you clean this up. We will give you no more daughters uh, into the religious life until you clean this up. And Kyle, this, it, goes, it goes a level up from that. For example, as bishops are appointed, there are so many wonderful priests that I know personally. And as these positions open up, I say, oh, I want you to be our shepherd. I wish you would be our shepherd. And they just look at me because they know there's not a snowball's chance in hell. And so it's perpetuating it. Yes, it's, it, well, it, it absolutely is. If we go with the manifestation, not theory, but observation, then what you're seeing is the bishop is, the newly appointed bishop is a clear manifestation of the papacy, those who are running that office of selecting bishops, they got there because they were promoted by people like McCarrick and the people who are demanding politicians. 
if you've got a dubious disposition toward the current leadership, then you have to look at at those that are appointed, Benedict the Sixteenth and this Holy Father. There's a clear difference. Again, it's the pool that he has to pick from because the deformation or the lack of formation continues. By and large, the pool from which which he picks is full of malformed priests. And so they're also promoted within their own ranks. We definitely have two churches, We de- and we're seeing this. We definitely have two churches. There's a whole debate that needs to be had about the difference between a priest and a pastor. A priest is he who makes sacrifice. And so a pastoral role is a subjection or a lower role of the priestly role. What is first and foremost is the priestly role. From that flows the grace that one may be a pastor. But there's this also this this redefinition of what a pastoral response is. The difference be we hearing the language of accompaniment versus leadership. This is the difference between ad orientum and ad hominem. Accompaniment is ad hominem, focused on the person. This is the political. This is the false compassion. This is an inversion. The true pastor leads his sheep. They follow him. They follow him to the creator. And so this is ad orientum, focused on the the creator rather than focused on the creature. And this particular pontificate, this particular episcopacy, by and large, is creature-oriented, not creator-oriented. Jesus the Christ is not the focus, is not the center. And so we've we've lost, there's a deviation, there's a focus on the mystical body of Christ versus the actual real presence of the body, the true body, the corpus of the Christ. We are unified as the mystical body of Christ in our adoration, in our inclusion, in the corporal body of Christ, in the true presence, the real presence, in he who is our Lord. Otherwise, we are our own Lord. We are our own God. That's where we are in this, in the faith. I'll draw your attention to something that, two areas that I really want to talk about um, before the end of this show, and these are manifestations of deviation within our faith. The first one is this. Every, there are popular biblical schools, there are all kinds of ministries, there are all kinds of manifestations of what I'm about to say. There has been in the last generation or in the last 60 years an inversion, a disordering of something that was rightly ordered for 20 centuries. And that is the supremacy, the primacy of the spiritual works of mercy over the corporal works of mercy. The spiritual works of mercy, those which directly affect the soul, have always had the primacy, the primary focus, and the corporal works of mercy were secondary. It's not that you should have one without the other. It is that we have an obligation in justice and charity 
to discharge all 14 of the works in their totality. But as St. Thomas, doctor of the church, says there is ranking. And so in our humanity, we must rank. In order for our intellect to understand, we must order. And so I will draw your attention to the understanding that traditionally, magisterially, and scripturally, the spiritual works of mercy had the primacy for 20 centuries, and after the Second Vatican Council, there is an inversion. And then we'll go and see a canonical, a canon law manifestation of this inversion and this misunderstanding, um, how language gets changed. And so, when our Lord is speaking, calling Philip the apostle, he says, come follow me. Philip responds, I must first go bury my father. Jesus answers him very succinctly, let the dead bury the dead. This is the seventh corporal work of mercy. The seventh spiritual work of mercy is to pray for the dead. In this moment, when Jesus is speaking to Philip, he's telling him clearly to spread the gospel, to come follow me as the primacy. Jesus will say in another place, who are my father and my mother? Who are my brothers and my sister? Those who love my father and keep his commandments. So there's a clear reordering of, of family and of obligations to keeping of the commandments. Now, modernly, what happens is there's been a lot of, of um, discussion about Pharisaical practices um, that we are we become Pharisaic, we become rigid, we become these things. It's easy to dismiss the value of the monastic life and the discipline of prayer and the discipline of faith with these words. And that's not what our Lord was saying. He said, these things for their own end are what is disordered. Charity for it, compassion for its own end is disordered. If you're seeking to feed the homeless for affirmation, then it has no merit. It has no merit still a good word, but it's not a meritorious work. We're going to come back and pick that up, the difference between good and meritorious, because we lose that. But back to this ordering, spiritual works of mercy, and they are in disorder. Instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful, and admonish the sinner. There is a, a movement, an order there, that Jesus says it is more important to share the knowledge of everlasting life, the gift of everlasting life, the gift of reconciliation with God the Father. I'll take you to Sermon on the Mount. He fed them spiritually, and then he fed them corporally. After the spiritual feeding, he turns to Philip again to punctuate his point, and he says, Philip, how can this many be fed? This is a spiritual question. How can this many be fed? And immediately, Philip says, 300 days wages are not enough. So again, the temporal emphasis on the monetary cost. We, we are seeing a clear division in our church along these lines. 
where the corporal works of mercy have gained have gained the primacy over the spiritual works of mercy. When we have a cardinal archbishop who tells us that his primary concern is our health and safety, that's his primary obligation, he is simply wrong. His primary obligation is our salvation, is to do everything possible that we may gain heaven. That is his primary obligation. That's that's what Christ gives us as, as the obligation. That's what's been the obligation for 20 centuries. So we see this become manifest when language starts to change, when understanding starts to change, where it is more important for us to be politically active about the redistribution of wealth rather than the rightful distribution of spiritual goods. When a bishop withholds the spiritual goods, this is a canonical infraction. There are other examples about when he may be allowed to change certain norms, when he may be able to address certain norms. But because of the disorder in the episcopate, and especially the disorder of lack or lack of understanding in those who are advising him, largely third-party insurers who are not Catholic are in advising about, quote, liability, the liability mouse of COVID-19 is overshadowed by the liability giant of McCarrick's actions, of pedophile actions, of what happened in the response to that. If you were concerned, if you were concerned about preservation of goods, then where was this caution then? As you give away the riches of the church through through poor decisions. We're at a spot where it's going to be almost impossible for a group of clerics such as the USCCB to make a good decision. The, the other example that I'll draw your attention to is when we place the emphasis on politics, and we do not clearly lead. This is an election year, and I am not proposing a candidate. But what I'm saying is, we are one issue voters. And that issue is Jesus Christ, and all that flows from his real presence. You have to stand before him at particular judgment doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, layman, priest, deacon, bishop, cardinal. You have to look him in the eye. You have to look into those sacred heart eyes and defend every single word, thought, word, and deed. How can you defend voting for someone who advocates human sacrifice. You will have to look into those sacred heart eyes and say, I did that for some notion of social justice. I did that because it's better for us to play you, us to play God and decide who lives and who dies. 
this is where we've come to. This is the line in the sand. This is where the sheep stand and say no more. We beg for the cleric who is willing to say, you cannot do these things. It's inconsistent with your Catholic faith. These are the things that are good for you. These are the things that are not good for you. These are the spiritual works of mercy which start with instruct ignorant, then counsel the doubtful and admonish the sinner. We're asking, we're demanding through our through our resolute stance, we're silently demanding through, through non-action that you become holy and lead us to holiness. That we become holy and that we lead you to holiness. But that we have to stop looking at each other in this political, ecumenical way. And it has to be about salvation of souls. You have to make the hard decisions and say the hard things. Leadership is not about popularity. It's not about constituency. It's about virtue. And it's about doing the right thing. Leadership is providential. Leadership is providential. God allows it. And if God allows it, it has or can have a salvific purpose, both in its horror, which we have seen, We've seen how the office, offices of the clergy as well as the politicians, we see how they have been done incorrectly. We see how they have been done incorrectly. Now let's do them correctly. Let's affirm the Catholic politicians, the true Catholic politicians, not Catholic in name only, that they live and vote their faith. What would happen if a Catholic candidate in the Archdiocese of Chicago or anywhere else said, I will vote my Catholic conscience. I will vote my faith. I will be an open Catholic. We have people who will say, I'm going to be an open socialist. I'm going to be an open moderate. I'm going to be an open Democrat. I'm going to promote human sacrifice. I'm going to promote uh, redistribution of wealth. We, we have people say that. What would happen if someone said, I will vote my Catholic conscience. I will vote the Catechism of the Catholic Church. That's the first place I will go is to prayer and to the teaching of my faith, the doctrines and dogmas of the one true faith, and that's how I will vote. We've got Muslims who promise to vote a Muslim, a Muslim faith and, and to work for Sharia law. Where are those candidates? Where are those candidates? Let's let the language of our Lord come back into our conversations and back into our public conversations. If we do this constantly and everywhere, if everyone you talk to, you say, may you have a blessed day. May our Lord bless you. Blessed be Jesus now and forever. If we start speaking this language, it emboldens those on the other line, other end of the line. Every one of us have had the call center experience where the person has said, you have a good day. And you say, you have a blessed day. And they say, oh, thank you very much. We're, we are dying to express our faith. Kyle, we have a candidate for U.S. Senate in Illinois who says that. He's a Catholic. When he was sheriff, he had a crucifix. He, had, he goes to mass every day, goes to confession, says he speaks up and takes the Catholic stance 
on things because it's a it's a 2000 years well thought out stance on moral issues but he pays the price for it there are highly organized forces in entrenched in our government in our church you mentioned the communism infiltration they hate that they advise against it they tell him it will hurt him in the election if he comes out but we, we do have someone like that and like Christ he, get, he gets crucified for it he absolutely, even from our Archbishop our Cardinal actually called him out in a he said that he was looking forward he was hoping that the church would find a way for him to return to the sacraments and the Cardinal in a uh, interview Made, I don't have the exact quote, but the, the cardinal in an interview said something like, we can't just pray and expect things will happen. I think that's what he said. Well, we can't just pray and expect things will happen. God gave you a brain. In other words, you had no brains if you were hoping <laughs> to return to the, to the, he was ridiculed for it. So that's the state of the state here. And I understand that. And so that was back to that original statement that we talked about is reclamation theology is speaking truth to power, recognizing that we come up against a, a smarter, more powerful opponent. But the only thing that we have to triumph is virtue and a true and abiding faith in prayer and in our Lord, because in the end, good will triumph. In the end, they will remember Jesus and those who followed him. We read the martyrology, and in the martyrology, the martyr's name is clearly given. The executioner is rarely named. And so that's, I think that's something that we, we always have to bear in mind. You stri- you, it's not about winning. It's about speaking truth to power. It's about the endeavor. It's about the democratio. It's about the struggle. It's about the noble endeavor because nobility, bravery, virtue are always, always achieved in this democratio, in this struggle without ever looking to the end. Uh, the, the valiant warrior is valiant whether he lives or dies, whether he's, he's victorious or not. And that's the difference between nobility and despicability. The noble is noble in all circumstances, and the despicable is this sneering visage that if he does happen to best an opponent, he counts coup, he takes personal satisfaction in the defeat of another. We have to take the high road, we have to remain noble. That's all my time for this week. For this month, I'll join you next First Friday, Angela. Yes, and tell us again about the conference tomorrow, Kyle. We lost the connection, Kyle, but I'll post it up at WSFI's website how they can sign up for tomorrow's conference. That's all the time we have left, and God bless you, and have a blessed day, Kyle. SFI 88.5 FM, Reclamation Theology. A copy of this broadcast will be made available at WSFI Catholic Radio.org. This